Worth repeating is made possible by the 8020 Foundation, Real Ale Brewing Company, Texas A&M University, San Antonio, and Do210.com. Welcome to the Worth Repeating Podcast. On this episode, we bring you stories from November's live event about pulling up the weeds in your life or edibles gone wrong. Our first storyteller of the evening was Natasha Gonzalez. Natasha shares a time when she felt like she was pulling up weed after weed in order to reach her goals. I've been a nurse for eight years. I remember sitting in the comfort of my home, watching the TV in the winter of 2020. And I remember seeing my fellow nurses struggling, crying, upset, and thinking, I can't sit here and watch this. I can't sit here knowing that I can help. So I made a phone call, probably one of the biggest phone calls I've ever made in my life. And the day after Easter, I was in New York City. I remember being in the hospital on the unit, working 15-hour days, seven days a week, covered in PPE, sweating like I've never sweated in my life, and not being able to see anybody other than the eyes. There was nothing distinctive about who anybody was. There was no colored uniforms. There was no badges. It was just everyone covered in head-to-toe PPE. And I remember sitting there, sorry, standing there, and having this moment of just confusion and thinking, what am I doing? And the charge nurse saying, Natasha, go take a break. You need a break. And I remember going downstairs, sitting in the atrium of this hospital, with this cup of coffee in my hand. I didn't even have the energy to drink it. I cried into it. um, And I thought, this is definitely a low. (laughs) Wondering, what am I doing? Feeling helpless, hopeless. And looking around and thinking, I can't be the only one. And looking into everybody's eyes around me, realizing I wasn't the only one and that everyone's mental health was affected. I'd always wanted to pursue my doctorate degree. And in that moment, that solidified that I didn't wanna be an acute care nurse practitioner. I wanted to be a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner because I wasn't the only one being affected mentally. And I knew that so many people around me were and they would need help. So I applied to a local graduate program I remember being in my hometown weeks into my assignment with my friends who had become family at that point. And I got an email. Congratulations, you've been accepted into your doctorate of nursing practice program. And I cried happy tears because who wouldn't? This is my dream. And I was going to be able to help people. Fast forward to two years into my program this summer. What was supposed to be a hot girl summer quickly turned into a sad girl summer because I have to do a doctorate program project in order to graduate. 
if I don't complete this project, I don't graduate. I had worked and put blood, sweat, and tears into this project and received no after no after no. And I just was so confused. I'm sitting in my bathtub, naked, <laughs> crying inconsolably, listening to breakup songs like somebody had just shattered my heart. Again, feeling hopeless and helpless and struggling with imposter syndrome, struggling with juggling everything that I had, businesses, kids, being a friend, being a wife, didactic, this project, everything was just spinning and just feeling very much in the weeds at that point. So I thought to myself, this isn't it. I'm going to do this. I have to do this. So fast forward to last week. And after months of putting together data for my new project, because I had to start over, by the way, and more blood, sweat, and tears of gathering data, I'm sitting in front of this local physician with sweaty palms, just as they are right now, a racing heart, just like it is right now, and praying to God that the physician that I'm speaking to is going to agree to my project so I can move forward, so I can graduate, and so I can start to help people around me. And what I feel is like hours have gone by and I'm rambling this data to her. And I look at her and she puts her hand on my shoulder and she says, this is amazing, let's do it. And I think that was the first time I was able to breathe. I remember walking to my car with a huge smile on my face, happy tears welling in my eyes. And um, I get in the car and I let out this squeal. <laughs> and I think to myself, I'm doing it. Of course, I'm in the weeds of this program, of this project. And I might forever be in the weeds because this is the life I chose. Just to stay busy, be busy, but I'm doing it. I'm going to make my children proud. I'm going to make my ancestors proud. I'm going to be a Latina with a doctorate degree. And thinking back on the good times and the bad times in New York, thinking on the good times and the bad times of this summer. And sometimes it's just part of what being in the weeds is, but I'm doing it. Thanks. Our next storyteller is John Ramos. John shares a story about a couple of close calls and how hard it is to eat on the run. How's it going? How's it going? I got a story. It's a, it's a two-part story. Uh, both happened within five days. Uh, pretty hectic, but then it's not. Uh, anyways, one day, me and my brother, we were on the phone one day. Uh, I, was at, I was at the house. I live in a I was honest at that time in the West Side. I don't know if y'all know. It's not the best neighborhood to be in. So uh, at night, it's pretty boring. You know what I mean? So anyways, we were on the phone and he calls me. He said, hey, what's going on? And I'm like, oh, I'm just chilling, not doing nothing. You know what I mean? So he was, oh, I got some weed. I got a dime. Let's go smoke. Shit. Why not? Let's go. Let's do it. You know what I mean? So he comes to pick me up. Him and his cousin Raymond. Uh, Raymond's like 
three years older than us, but he looks 10 years older than us. You know what I mean? So anyways, he picks us up in the truck and like any teenagers were out driving, driving around, smoking, doing dumb shit that, you know, teenagers would do. So we're at Woodline driving around. I don't know what the hell we're doing at Woodline. We're in the area. Anyways, we're just doing that. So, uh, <laughs> so we're driving around the block and anyways, uh, we're coming neighborhoods and uh, I don't know where we just hear a cop. Boop, boop. Oh shit. Turn back. And uh, I'm in the middle, of course. I'm in the back seat. Scrub. I'm in the middle of, you know, my head's peeking up. So I look like a scrub, right? So, anyways, uh, anyways, I told, him, oh shit, what's going on? You know, the cops are coming. My brother has the weed. Like, Give me the weed. So I, so I, I get the sack of weed. I was confident. I grabbed the bag, put it in my mouth, and not knowing what was gonna happen. So half the damn bag fell in my mouth. The other half fell on my shirt, and on my beard. You know what I mean? So I thought it was cool. So I, I dusted off my shirt, and uh, I'm just, you know, I'm, oh, she's all good. Shit, not knowing that after a few seconds, the weed starts drying my mouth. It's just drier than a Popeye's biscuit. You ever had a Popeye's biscuit? It's, just, it's horrible. So I'm there. I feel like an idiot. And I'm like, holy shit, I'm about to go to jail for some dumb, you know what I mean? I'm just for weed. So I was like, oh, so the cop pulls up to the car. And, uh, you know, he's, I guess he's ex-military or something because he's looking at me with a flashlight and he's giving me this funny look. He's just all pissed off, you know what I mean? So, and then he tells me, don't you know that's going to get you sick, sir? I'm just a, you know what I mean? And then, <laughs> so he's like, get out the car. So I get out the car, makes me spit it out. So I spit it out, you know what I mean? He's like, stomp on it and stomp on it. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to jail. And this guy, you know, typical traffic stop. He's asking questions. He's like, man, you're a dumbass and you're, you're an idiot. What are you doing here? You know what I mean? And then he starts going through my pockets and he's asking for a form of identification, which happens to be my school ID. So and he was like, oh, you know, and so he had a field day. He was like, this guy's a college student. He was like, I'm about to take this guy to jail and ruin his life. So I thought he was going to ruin my life. And um, anyways, he's calling me an idiot, called me a dumbass at least 50 times, uh, asking why I was chilling with my brother. Dumb, everybody was a dumbass that day. My, my brother's his cousin. And uh, so anyways, he's telling me stuff and uh, he turned me around. So I figured, oh, he's going to arrest me. So I started going to the cop car. I'm walking and he pulls me by the handcuffs. You know, if you ever get yanked by handcuffs or any teeth, it hurts. You know what I mean? So you're like, oh, shit. So he's, I stopped and he starts uncuffing me. So I'm like, oh, what's, I, mean, I guess he's taking me without cuffs. And turns around. He's like, hey, dumbass. Uh, here's your school ID. Take your school ID. Leave. Don't come back. So, so OK, we get in the car. And we split. We're driving this time. And also, going fast forward, five days, me and my brother decide to go for more weed. This time we're walking. <laughs> the first time was, was 10 bucks. So this time it was $20. So just imagine, uh, it half and half. It was a little bit more. So me and him had enough for our own Popeye's biscuit. You know what I mean? <laughs> so we're walking. And turns out we're in the middle of the damn Alazanas again. You know what I mean? So we're in a damn park. I don't know why the hell. We're in a park, you know, two grown-ass men in the park. So, uh, so anyways, cop pulls over and, uh, yeah, so he pulls us over and, uh, he, one cop, you know what I mean? And then out of nowhere, three cops come and then by the time you know it, there's six cops there and we're like, holy shit, they're going to beat us up. You know what I mean? And, uh, well, they didn't beat us up, but, uh, the cop, cop has my brother in the back seat, and, uh, you know, I thought he was going to jail. He's looking at me. He looks like a puppy in the back seat. I thought he was going to, you know what I mean? He's all, and I was like, man, shit, dude. And, uh, so, Anyways, we're there. Cops are messing with us, asking us questions. Another cop comes up to us and he says, man, we're going to make y'all a deal. So I'm going to split this bag in half. If you eat half and you eat half, since y'all love, uh, love to eat weed, I'll let y'all go. So me and my brother look at each other. We're like, holy shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I uh, shit you not. We're like, that. Oh, okay, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, 
so anyways, like the cops about to tear, tear it in half. And then I don't know where another cop comes and he says words out of his mouth. He's like, don't y'all do that dumb shit. And he's like, y'all know better than that. And this and that. And he starts going off on the cops. Me and Mike were like looking at each other. It's my brother, Mike in the front. But uh, uh, yeah. So anyways, we're looking at each other. <laughs> Why sit down? <laughs> anyways, we're looking at each other and uh, we, we, we just, you know what I mean? We're like, holy shit, we're going to, you know what I mean? What the hell's going on? And then the cop told us, y'all are both lucky. There's a bomb threat at the magistrate. He's like, well, I'll lock y'all's asses up. And I was what the fuck, bro? No, you're lucky it's a bomb threat. But <laughs> anyways, like a lot of people like to uh, take this as funny and stuff like that. But I, I took it another way. Uh, what if the stakes were different? What if me and my brother had drugs on us? What if our skin color was different? The consequences would have would have been different. Just anything. And with everything going on in the world today, it just it felt good knowing that there was one cop there wanting to step in and change the dynamic of the situation and kind of get us out of there and let us go, along with the first two cops. So I guess, like I said, the first half... It's funny. Second half tells a different story. Changed the whole dynamic of everything. And uh, I guess, like I said, man, it gives us another another uh, opportunity to keep going. And shit, me and my brother didn't have to eat a damn quote-unquote Popeye's biscuit, so we would have been there looking stupid at each other. <laughs> so that's pretty much what it is. I mean, it, it was it was a scary day that day at that moment because, you know, when you think about, you know, you're just, you're just funny now because, you know, you're just like, holy man what, what could have happened but i mean when, when you're really looking back at it now uh it's crazy so that's when we were driving so a third time we decided to fly but uh, nah nah it's not it but uh it, it was what's funny is uh i also have a brother and we used to smoke and i always tell my brother mike and i was like damn dude can you imagine if we had my brother kevin with us we would have been sh like it would have been worse so my brother kevin he used to smoke weed and for some reason he looks stupid and his hair would stick up like alfalfa and he was Mexican. So, I mean, shoot, we call him alfada or, or something like that. You know what I mean? But that's pretty much what it is. I'm just glad we went with him because he, like I said, he looks stupid. He would have definitely gave us away, with, especially with his hair sticking up like he was alfalfa or something like that. But y'all have a good one. <laughs> Our next storyteller is Winston Dean. Winston shares a coveted ritual and the rabbit holes that follow. So, to start off, um, me and my family, we recently got Ancestry.com to find out a little bit more about our heritage. We don't know much about it. I'm not going to go into details as to why. Um, but uh, the results came back. Turns out we're roughly 30% sativa. So, <laughs> all right. Okay, I was honestly like, I knew that would go well with this crowd. We're here for weeds. Guys, I've told that, that's that whole entire story, like, to Odessa and Odessa, Texas, totally different vibe. Um, it's not clear eyes and full hearts, it's blank stares and angry faces. And I know the blank stares are like, uh, sativa, is that a tribe in Africa? And I wanna be like, yes, sativa's and indica's been at war for centuries, guys. Um, so that's me alluding to the fact that I smoke so much that I consider it a part of my DNA on some level. Um, I have a lot of friends that enjoy smoking. I live in Austin, Texas. But um, sometimes they'll ask me to do things with them that just make no sense to me. They'll be like, hey, uh, Winston, let's go to Zilker Park and get high, man. 
I'm like, let's get high here and then go to Zilker Park. Like, what are you talking about, guys? I'm black. I'm not trying to get cut out here with green. I'm sorry. It's just, I'm good. Um, but uh, one thing I really enjoy doing is getting lost in the weeds with random facts. If anyone knows me, they know that I love random facts. One of my favorite shows of all time is Jeopardy. Are there any Jeopardy heads in here? I love Jeopardy, guys. And Jeopardy right now is having a tournament of champions where there's people there that have won as many as 40 games in a row. It's, it's, it's so cool. And I'm going to go over some of these random facts that I've learned while being high watching Jeopardy with you guys, if that's cool with you. So to start, first question, or I guess first response was, this military strategist played a major role in the invention of Braille. Ding. Napoleon Bonaparte. Crazy, right? You hear that fact and it's like, what? Braille was not invented for blind people, but it was invented for war? And it's like, yes, Napoleon told his soldiers, if you can find a form of writing that we can use at night and the enemy won't spot our location, I'll give you a substantial raise. And that was the beginning of Braille as we know it. Right? Yes. Yeah, you're welcome. Random, random fact. <laughs> People, guys, don't sleep on these random facts, okay? But whenever I hear that fact, I'm like, I think personally, when I heard that fact, I was like, wait a minute. You mean to tell me that all the way until Napoleon, there wasn't one person in human history to be like, maybe we should teach these blind people to read? You know? It's like, no, fuck them. They'll, they're doing fine. They're lucky to be here, okay? Um, some people lock up when I say that, but like, guys, I promise you being blind's a lot like being black. It's only gotten better the closer to now that we've gotten. Okay. <laughs> it's just facts. Um, moving on. Second fact that I want to tell you guys about the question, the, the response was this team in 1966 won the national championship with five star black players, five starting black players. Ding. Texas Western. I don't know if you guys knew that fact, but in 1966, Texas Western won the national championship with five starting black basketball players for the first time in the history of college basketball. Pretty cool, right? It was also the first time it was ever attempted, guys. We are that much better than you at basketball. Like, not me personally. I'm a solid second pick, guys. If you pick me first, you will be disappointed, okay? I know I'm six foot three and black. Pick me second, okay? Just trust me on that. But uh, a lot of people know that random fact or are familiar with that random fact, but they don't know this random fact. After seeing this on Jeopardy, I thought it was really cool, so I started going down the rabbit hole, looking on Wikipedia. Did you guys know that from 1967 until 1971, they made it illegal to dunk in college basketball? It's like they saw that national championship and they were like, fuck that shit. Like, <laughs> Kansas will never get another title again. We can't have this, okay? Yeah, it's crazy. Um, but I was sitting there thinking, maybe I'm just over here assuming that Texas Western was out here dunking the ball. Maybe they weren't. And then I looked up an article and the best player's nickname was Daddy Mac. So <laughs> he was dunking the basketball, needless to say. Um, but I don't know. Also, going down this rabbit hole, I don't know if you guys knew this. If you're familiar with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, he came out with the greatest shot of all time, the most unstoppable shot, the skyhook. It's impossible to block because he's taller than you, and the way you get to it, his shoulder's in the way, he's good to go. Did you know that he played college basketball from 67 to 1970 in those years where he wasn't allowed to dunk? So again, another story in black excellence, people. Give it up for Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. All right. Okay, guys. So two facts down, 
one fact to go. And this one really stuck with me and it was really confusing me as to why it stuck with me. But then the more I thought about it, the more it really made sense. So the, the response was, this animal has been killing great white sharks off the coast of South Africa. Ding, orca whales. Correct. And I was like, what the fuck? Are you kidding? Orca whales are killing great white sharks? And I don't know why this fact was sticking with me so much. But then I began to, the more I thought about it, the more I realized it's all about perception and PR. First off, think to yourselves, guys. Think to yourselves. Hear me out. Hear me out. Think to yourselves. We're going to have a thought experiment. What's the first movie you think about when it comes to great white sharks? Exactly. It's coming up on you. Jaws, the shallow, the deep, they're dangerous. They're everywhere. What's the first movie you think about when it comes to orca whales? Look, people, all I'm saying is these orca whales, I, I had to go, I had to look further. I had to look further. So I look into an article, and the same article I'm reading, they're talking about how great white sharks are avoiding the South African coast because they keep on getting killed by orca whales. So first off, dangerous, the deep, the shallow, jaws. What does that sound like description-wise to you? Super predator, right? And who was described like that in the 1990s? Us. Black men, all right? Now, hear me out. Same article, like I said, they're avoiding the coast. What does that also sound like to you? At least to me, sounds like black mothers telling their black kids, don't go over there, there's a lot of cops over there, okay? And if I were to ask you to think for just a quick second, out of any fish in the ocean, which one looks the most like a cop? Let's be honest, okay? I'm pretty sure I can't prove it, but I'm pretty sure orca whales would say some shit like these colors don't swim, okay? <laughs> I can't prove it, but I know it, okay? So just, you know, don't ever assume anything just off of the first impression, okay, guys? And um, next time you're in Austin, if you want to hang out and you want to smoke, we're going to do it at my place, okay? <laughs> and we're going to watch Jeopardy. Y'all have been great. Thank you. The last storyteller of this episode is Mariana Cid de Leon Ovalle. Mariana shares a story about how the devil's lettuce became God's salad. Okay, so who here has been high at church? There we go. Who here has been high at church while sitting on a giant pair of lips? Hold on, let me explain. So three years ago, I decided to visit Denver for the first time ever. My husband and I went together. And we decided, obviously, we were going to do something weed related. Went in Rome, obviously. That's one of the big reasons we went. And so I go on to my420tours.com. I really recommend that website, by the way. They really take care of you. <laughs> Trust me. Anyway, so I go on there and I'm trying to pick an experience. I only have one weekend. And I see that they offer a, an experience of psych a psychedelic laser experience at the International House of uh, Cannabis. And I'd never heard of it before. And so I said, fuck it, of course. We signed up for that. And the really awesome thing about this is that you actually can't. So 
you can't smoke in public places over there. And my 420 tours is aware of this. So they pick you up in a party bus. They take you, they take you to a dispensary. You get what you need. And then you get on the party bus and make your way to the church. And that's what we did. And so once I'm on the bus, I am sitting next to this Italian man from Chicago who looked a lot like Joe Pesci. <laughs> this couple from Houston. And they're telling me about how they love visiting for the fact that they get to just enjoy this. And I wasn't expecting to bond so much, but I mean, I don't know what else I was expecting. So two pre-rolls in, we are pulling into this neighborhood and just picture, this is a church that was built in the early 1900s, a Lutheran church. And now it is this very special place. And you, don't, you can't really tell from the outside until you get closer. And you see the lights the coming through like the windows, or at least that's what I saw. And the windows had... <laughs> the windows had this like psychedelic art on it. Now that I did not imagine because I went back and checked. It, it's there. And so I was like, oh my God, this is going to be a perfect place. We go in there and the first thing that I see is a sign that says, smoke weed every day on top of the piano. And I was like, okay. I remember I visibly relaxed and I just felt comfortable with all the eclectic art and all the eccentric furniture. And that's when I see this big, beautiful, giant mouth couch. And it's when I'm perched on top of that mouth couch that I learned that it was donated, along with all the other furniture, by former professional athlete Sean White, who is a very passionate member. And that's when I learned you can be a member. And I was like, you can be a member? What? And they're like, yeah, yeah. Um, they're the only ones that get to smoke in the sanctuary. And I was like, you can smoke in the sanctuary. And I wasn't allowed to leave, no, only the members. That's when I realized this is an actual functioning church, like a real thing. And they, they practice in the religion of elevationism. And I, at this point, I had just moved back to San Antonio from living in San Diego for a couple of years. So my perspective had changed a lot about weed. <laughs> and so just because it did change, that doesn't mean that I hadn't, let go of all of this stuff I was carrying, this negative stereotyping about it, the, the, the trauma that I kind of had endured from growing up in environments that weren't supportive of that. And I still carried that. So when we pull up to this church in this neighborhood, I'm surprised because it's in a middle of Denver suburban, like not a school wasn't far from it. I wasn't expecting it to be this like, this is a serious space. We're opening our doors for you to come in and see this beautiful light, but this is a church, respect it. And so I'm sitting there in the pew laying down actually now because they're like, you can lay down if you feel they weren't even done saying it. And I was already laying down. <laughs> and so <laughs> the lights go down and the laser light, the laser start going and the music starts and Alice starts falling down the hole on the wall. I see it. Like I didn't imagine that. <laughs> I promise. I think anyway. So I was like, I guess I'm going right down with her because in that moment, I was transported back to being 16 years old and being aggressively recruited into campus life at my school because I was hungry for community and spirituality. And it took me back to being 17 years old and having to smoke before going with my friends to the youth group night because I felt so massively uncomfortable in that space without it. It took me back to being 19 and 
becoming a mother and having all this shame and having all this fear and clinging to rules. And the reason why it took me back is because we're listening to Pink Floyd and all I can think is secular music in the sanctuary. Now, mind you, I'm high at church, but apparently I draw the line at secular music in the sanctuary. <laughs> and so I was just like, what? where did that come from? It's funny how indoctrination comes out in ways you don't expect. And in that moment, that's what came out. And I just remember thinking, like, I'm sitting here connecting with all these people. And I start to realize, you know, when I was in the church, I, 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 I got defensive a bit, actually. I was like, you know, it wasn't always bad. Why are you, you know, acting like this? And then I'm like thinking, because in the church, I was told if you smoke weed, It'll isolate you from your, from your friends. It'll alienate you from your sense of self. You'll hate yourself. And then I'm like, that day I started processing and forgiving myself for realizing that what I was deconstructing from, because at this point I was years into deconstructing from evangelical Christianity. I was years into this. So at this point, I start to forgive myself and realize that evangelical Christianity is what did that to me. All the things it said that we would do, they did it to me. And in that moment, I just, I was like, but you know, it wasn't all bad. As I said, there were times when I've, I had the church high is what I like to call it, which is when you go to like a retreat, a mission trip, or what I like to call ACL for youth, Christian youth, <laughs> which was acquire the fire. Those were the moments when I had the church high. And that's because I was with other people, surrounded with other people. And that's when I realized that was what it was all along. It was the people. The people were what made me connected. And then I realized that not there is no one answer. That's when I started to realize there's no one answer, and that was liberating. I started to realize that nobody owns spirituality. That is a personal experience that nobody can claim. It is yours and yours alone. And I also realized, okay, this is what Jesus would do. <laughs> and that's all because I sat on a big mouth couch. Thank you. That's it for this episode of the Worth Repeating podcast. You can get tickets for the next live show by visiting tpr.org backslash WR or submit a story that you'd like to tell. If you know someone who has a great story, tell them about Worth Repeating. Our next show is on December 13th and the theme is Chisme. We want your stories about gossip, rumors, and other behind the scenes drama. Support for Worth Repeating comes from the 8020 Foundation, Do210.com, Texas A&M University at San Antonio, and Real Ale Brewing Company. Worth Repeating is a production of Texas Public Radio.